to begin by bringing greetings from Bishop Stewart. And also, my thanks, it's always a joy to come and, and be with you here in Emmanuel. So thank you for uh, the invitation. And our topic is joy, and it's sort of a strange way to start out, but let me put it this way, a story. It was intense. I was called in, a married couple was having some real problems, and I was dealing with two very, very broken, very angry people. And you know, sometimes things just sort of come out. <laughs> and at a certain point when it was getting pretty hot, I remember saying, whoa, you used to like each other. It just came out. And I said, you know, well, like, what do you guys used to do to have fun? And suddenly, they began saying, well, you know, when we were dating, here's what we used to do. And they talk, and actually, the tone sort of changed. I said, well, why do you stop doing that stuff? And they said, well, you know, we got involved, our careers, you know, and family, and uh, we just got too busy with serious stuff. I remember thinking, what could be more serious than maintaining the joy of your marriage? I mean, ever since then, I made it a point that just sort of came out ever since that I prepare people for marriage, part of one of the things I do. And I tell people, remember, joy is what will keep everything going. You know, it's not an extra. And maybe that's one of the real messages from Jesus today is we tend to think of joy as sort of a nice bonus. We have the serious stuff. And then if you have an extra time and maybe get lucky, a little joy is fine. The scriptures teach the opposite. Let's look at what Jesus teaches, uh, what the scriptures teach generally about joy. First of all, as old as the Old Testament, we don't think of that necessarily as the most joyful place. Remember Nehemiah, the most famous line? He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy equaling strength. Like I say to that couple, joy will get you through. You know, when you really love each other, that joy in your marriage will get you through things and nothing else will get you through. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It tells us Jesus in the book of Hebrews. What got Jesus through the cross? This is what they explain. What got Jesus through the cross? It says, this is scripture. It says, let us run with endurance the race that sets before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It was that joy. No one was coming. That joy, it says, is what empowered the Lord Jesus at the cross. It's also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's funny, we have the, the seven fruits of the Holy Spirit, but notice something on the list. But the fruit of this, this is in Galatians 5, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Whoa! The second after love is joy. That doesn't sound like a bonus or an extra if you have time, extra credit. Okay. And we're, we're, we're also told, uh, actually, one of the early factors when you read stories about conversions, very often what converted pagans, we have a lot of stories of this, is the joy of Christians at their martyrdom. They were so sure of what was coming up, they said, I want what they have. The joy was, was the real thing that proved it to people. People want joy. Another thing is we're exhorted to strive for it. The earliest Christian writing of any Christian writing is 1 Thessalonians. And what, is the, what does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians? He says, and again, the verb for joy is rejoice. Basically, give yourself over to joy. The verb. In Greek, it's the same way. They're cognates. It's the same word. One's a verb, one's a noun. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. What's first on the list? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Pretty important. And I love in Philippians, uh, which is one of the most wonderful letters to read, he says it uh, two different cases. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, or that famous verse in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. 
So the message is that the scriptures think joy is a really important thing, which raises two questions for us. How do we claim that joy? You know, how do we claim it? Maybe that doesn't describe us. How do we claim that joy? Or also, why may joy be missing if we don't have that joy? Why? What are, what are some of the reasons it might be missing? Let's first of all go into, let's go to Jesus, an explanation, important clarification Jesus gives in today's gospel. You see, we, know, we think of, I use the word suffering, we normally think of suffering as a bad thing. And that's true of most suffering. Most suffering is a frustration of purpose. It stops things from being the way they should be. There's a reason to be frustrated. It's, it's, a, it's a fruit of sin, right? You know, suffering is not inherently a good thing. Uh, we can think of, 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 of uh, chronic illness, uh, handicaps, the loss of a child. This is suffering. There's a reason we don't like it. But Jesus says they're not all suffering is like that. He says there actually is a different type of suffering that is profoundly different. He gives us the example of childbirth. He says, you know, um, he says, you know, the example of childbirth with pain, the pain is, but at the end, it leads to joy. The two go together. Instead of being a frustration of purpose, normally what's wrong with pain and suffering is they're stopping things from being the way they should. Some suffering or trial and struggle actually gets you somewhere. Instead of being a roadblock, it's the road. It gets you somewhere. And he says, that's how childbirth is a perfect example. You know, everyone has a child. You know, I'm the father of three of them. Uh, you know, as you'd say, well, of course, it's easy as a guy to say, I'd do it again. Uh, <laughs> but I wasn't complaining. Oh, never mind. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but you, we get the idea. But my wife felt the same way. You know, the fact is, compared to a child, you say, small price to pay, you know, say, and we, we all know this, and just regular wisdom, people look at like Olympics and things, and people get a medal or something, we know all the work that goes into that, and sometimes really it's, it's, it's striving, it's enduring, it's not easy, it's hard work, you know, there's a lot of suffering involved in a real sense, a lot of giving up and sacrifice, but they see the prize, you know, we have the, the eyes on the prize, they see that, and it brings joy, we understand it's, it's not a frustration of purpose, it's a fulfillment of purpose, becoming everything you could be as an athlete, the thing is sometimes with degrees and things, you know, people strive, you know, to, to get their professional formation or get that job they want. They want to be a doctor or something. They work really, really hard. And then it comes, they say, it's all worthwhile. And it was a lot of work. They gave up a lot of things in an important time of life, but they, it was all worth it. So we have this kind of, uh, this kind of, of suffering and sense of, you know, tribulation and things we go through that isn't a frustration of purpose. It actually does something. Okay, this is Jesus uses the example today, again, of <coughs> childbirth. <coughs> now, Jesus says the apostles are about, this is at the Last Supper, the apostles, he said, you're go about to go through one of these, these experiences. What's going to happen in a few hours, he, say, he says very shortly, he means a few hours from now, it's over with us. It'll never be like this again. I will leave you. You won't see me anymore. I'll be gone and he said, and he said, not only is it going to be sad, he says here, he said, a little while you will not see me. Truly, I say, you will weep and lament and the world will rejoice. This makes it even harder. Because not only, sometimes when you're sorrowing, everybody else is sorrowing. And, you know, they say misery loves company. It makes it a little easier. He said, what's going to be really hard about your sorrow is everybody else is going to be rejoicing. You know, at the cross, everyone's making fun of Jesus. See, we were right. He was wrong. You know, you're the only ones who are going to be mourning there. It's really hard to be the only one in sorrow. It's really a hard part. So not only do they have sorrow, they're the only ones. It's not like, I remember once a buddy of mine who was a big Cardinals fan, you know, he was here at, you know, Wrigley Field with, uh, you know, and it was an important game, you know, with the, with the Cubs. 
and the Cubs won. And that was in a time they weren't doing much of that. Okay, and the and people here as Cub, good Cub fans, we were all wild. And he was really into this stuff. I mean, he was it was really hard to see all these people having a great time because of their loss. Didn't make it easier. Okay. So he says, but here's the good news. He said, you will see me again, and you will rejoice. His actual words, he says here, he, um, he says, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So this is what he is, the entrance, he says, it's like that. Just as that baby, it's going to be, what's happening to you is going to go somewhere. Believe me, it's better for you. It's, this is going to be real pain. I don't discount that. It's going to be really hard. But at the end of the day, wow, it's going to be great. Not only will you have joy, but it's a joy that every other joys come and they go. This joy will never leave. The joy no one will take from you. Well, so far, it's so good we say for the apostles, but Jesus says it doesn't end there. He then goes, wait a second. He's talking about after his resurrection. But if you read the whole passage today, he's saying there's something else going on here. He's not going to stay after his resurrection. He'll be there, right? He'll be there for another 40 days. And he says, I'm returning to the Father. So he's preparing them. There's this initial time, but you're going, he says, you will know tribulation. Is you're about to enter into a long season, you are going to be gone. And by the way, what's really important to us, this isn't just the apostles, this is our story. So the first thing was just the apostles. They were the ones around for the crucifixion, seeing him die, and then seeing him again after the resurrection. But he said, now you're about going to another period because I go to the Father, you're going to be alone again. You're going to, he said, you will know tribulation. But he said that joy wouldn't be taken away. And this is not just to the apostles, it's to us. So that's our message. Somehow there's a joy, there's going to be tribulation, he said, but it's not inconsistent with joy. Okay. So why is that the case? How is it possible to have tribulation without this? And this brings us to the story of Peter's confession that really tells us the theology we can miss as critical to our Christian lives. Remember Peter's confession of faith. One day Jesus says to them, they're, they're hanging around, he says, look, guys, not in the Greek text, dudes in the Greek, no, okay, okay. <laughs> he says, okay, guys, he says, who do people say that I am? And they give different, well, some people say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, etc. but no, who do you say that I am? And we know Jesus has that incredible response, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And in Matthew's gospel it says, you know, Jesus says to him, you know, flesh and blood didn't tell this to you, God, you know, the Father revealed this to you. So this was really true. It seems like a great moment, but actually that's only half of the story, isn't it? So far, so good, but what happens right after that to show us that the story isn't what we think it is? It sounds like Peter's best moment. It isn't. Because what happens then? Jesus says, right now, you know I'm the Messiah, right? Well, let me tell you, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified, die, and be raised. What's Peter's reaction? God forbid. Oh, no, no, you're just having a bad day. You know, put those thoughts, <laughs> that kind of thing. No, Lord, we all have bad days, you know. <laughs> no, he's saying, no, he said, yeah. he could not see the connection between suffering, you know, and, 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 and the Messiah. He couldn't see the connection. And what's Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. So the point is that Peter missed the point. You know, the fact is that Peter was seeing this, he, he, he had half of the story, right, that you're going to be, you know, that... You're the Messiah. But he thought it was a Messiah without suffering. He saw, he saw you know, victory without the struggle. Victory without a battle. That's what he saw. And Jesus said, not like that. He said, Peter, this is all wrong. Okay, now, this is really neat. In Mark's gospel, he does something that only Mark does. Mark's is the earliest gospel. It sometimes scandalizes Christians who don't realize why the story's there. 
right before this episode, guess what Mark has? He has a strange story about a blind man that comes up to Jesus, and Jesus puts a clay on his eye, and he says, do you see? And he says, well, yeah, but I see people walking around like trees. So he tries a second time. There it goes. He, sees, he says, then he sees clearly. What's the point? Jesus doesn't need two tries to cure people. Okay, it wasn't like, gee, this didn't work out, you know? <laughs> okay, what really, there's a message here. That's why it's right before that story. He says, here's how we understand. Mark is a beautifully constructed gospel. He's preparing us to understand what's about to happen. Yes, Peter did see it really is from God. That's true, yes. But he didn't see clearly. He only saw half the story. He saw the resurrection. He didn't see the crucifixion. Half the story. It's only when he sees both that you got it, that you see clearly. Now, we might say, well, that's nice for them, but here's where the real kicker comes in. And this is our story. I want to read the exact words of Mark that are so important that normally we're talking, he's talking to the disciples. He calls everybody over to hear this, meaning all of us, not just the apostles, not just disciples, everybody anywhere nearby, he called. Here's the quote we have from, uh, that we have from here. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. We sometimes think, Jesus is saying, folks, this is your path. We sometimes think we're the Jesus Admiration Society, the Jesus Fan Club. Good going, Lord. You know, we just so admire this, and we certainly do. He said, you understand this is the path of everyone who is a Christian. Every, the road to our personal Easter passes through Good Friday. There is no other way. You know, the, the, I like to say the way of the cross is the way of life, but it's our path. So Jesus' path isn't something we admire afar. He's saying where I've gone, that's what we call him the pioneer of our faith. The pioneer is someone who goes out, goes out ahead. You know, I like an image. I was a road warrior for, for decades. I've taken hundreds of trips. It's not fun. But the point is on the back of a plane, you know what, uh, you know, when you're when first class, you can see them out the, out the windows, you can see them coming out here. You're not budging, but you see where they are, you will be. That's sort of when we talk about Jesus being the pioneer of our faith, the archon, you know, of our faith in Hebrews. It's basically, that's how it is. Jesus' path is our path. We'll get there later, but we're following the same path. So one of the things we have to always remember as Christians, the cross is the norm, not the exception. Every Christian bears the cross, but it always leads to life. That's the glory, like Jesus for the joy set before him. And that's our story too. That's where the, the root of joy is. We know where this leads. It's not frustration. This is like giving birth. Our cross leads to life. Again, our cross, we sometimes, when you, when you counsel people in bad times, they, you know, they feel like this is a roadblock. It's not a roadblock. It's the road. It's not a roadblock. It is the road. That's how we reach the resurrection. Now, the uh, way to look at this, and Jesus gave us a wonderful description of Matthew's gospel of this. He said, you know, it's like this. He said, man, I should explain something about the ancient world you might not know that makes the story make, make a lot more sense. He talks about a treasure in a field. That's a common event in the ancient world. They didn't have banks. There's some deposits you kept in temples. The regular people, if you had a family treasure, you had to hide it somewhere. So people really did bury treasure as a way you took care of it. That's one of the things you did. So there was a law that said that if you, if you bought a field and there was a treasure in it, you would own the treasure. So if somebody died and didn't tell somebody where they buried stuff, you know, it gets lost, 
like people set up these college accounts for their kids for $100 and forget about them, and you know, it's sort of an abandoned bank account. Okay, if this happens, uh, you know, if you, if you buy the field, it's yours. So he said, it's like this. Let me read the words Jesus needs here. Look at the words Jesus uses. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has and buys the field. The word is joy. He's going to give up everything. He's going to sell everything he has for that field. Normally, you think that's, that's sacrifice, right? We talk about the rich young man selling everything. No problem at all. Look what I'm getting. It's, a, it's like buying a winning lottery ticket. If you knew in advance this is the ticket, it's not suffering to go, you borrow money to pay for it. So he says it's joy because he knows the treasure is there. Suddenly what normally would be a sacrifice isn't a sacrifice at all. He gladly runs around, gets the money, and buys the field. That's not a, that's not a hard call. Okay. So actually this is a, the difference we have, and this is important spiritually generally. There, Luke loves to put sort of dueling stories to create, uh, uh, to show us that, you know, sort of some, that the truth is between the two. He has two stories of rich people who have trouble with, uh, with, with money. He describes them as very rich. The first is the famous rich young man. Remember, he comes to Jesus, and, and Jesus said, well, he said, what do I have to do to be, and he's a good guy. He kneels, he calls him Lord. You know, he clearly has tried. Jesus says Jesus loved him. But he said, well, you have to give up everything you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And what does it say? He went off sadly because he had a lot, of, a lot of money. You probably have asked yourself sometimes, well, gee, what would have happened if he said yes? The good news is Luke tells us. He gives us the yes version of the story. The very next chapter, the yes version is the story of Zacchaeus, who starts out with exactly this, a very rich man. So what happens with Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus, Jesus comes to him and, and says, hey, I'm having lunch with you. And Zacchaeus says, runs down, doesn't have to be asked. He said, Lord. First of all, I'm going to make good. I've stolen from people. I'm going to make that good. And I'm, when that's finished, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. He didn't even have to. He said he ran down. He's joyful. What's the difference between those two rich men? One was looking back at what he was giving up. One was looking at forward to what he was getting. This is the story of the spiritual life. Hope looks forward. Despair looks back. That's why Jesus said, any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Where we go wrong in our spiritual life, we keep looking back. We need to look forward. So the trouble, the difference, a rich young man was looking what he was giving up. Zacchaeus was looking at what he was getting. That's the story of the joy. When we focus not on what we give, no, we focus on the treasure we know is in that field. That's the story of our source of our joy. Now back to our initial questions, how do we claim that joy? How do we make it our own? Jesus points the way in today's gospel. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The first thing is prayer is the royal road to joy. You see, here's the problem we make. We try to reduce our faith into a philosophical system, an intellectual system. We try to persuade, you know, have you ever read like, you know, some of you in college, of course, might have read Boethius, you know, the, the consolation of philosophy. There are all sorts of books, ancient philosophy. He wasn't ancient, but, well, he wasn't modern either. Okay, but, but, but the idea of like back in Greek times and things too, you have people who'd write these consolations. What it was saying when something is awful happening to you is trying to tell you, hey, it's not so bad. Trying to talk you out of feeling bad. None of them worked, by the way, but it was a good thought. Okay. But they're trying to say how you should really feel, yeah, yeah, this is pretty good. Doesn't work. Okay. So we often do that with our faith. We try to say, here are the reasons I should be happy. But what Jesus tells us is, 
our joy will always be connected with our connection with God himself. We're not talking about God, we're talking to him. That makes all the difference. That's why in the gospel, why we, we rise for the gospel symbolically. What it reminds us is this, we're not reading about Jesus. This is an old book, oh, that's a nice story about Jesus. We are, actually, he's speaking to us now. We come here prepared to actually hear the living Lord Jesus speak to us. Our joy can only be good as our connection with God. And that connection comes with prayer. And Jesus said, you've got it. Thanks to what I've done, you know, through me. He said, with the Father, you can go directly. You have access to the Father. You don't have to talk about him. You can see him. You can meet You can talk to him. And it's like Moses. Remember what happened when Moses would see God when we come back? His, his face, it said, would glow. Well, I think that's the result of prayer. I think that's a beautiful metaphor for joy. Joy is the glow that comes from being with God. There is no other way. So the first thing we have is we try to have a joy which is talking ourselves into it through theology. I'm all for theology, obviously, as a canon theologian, but, but it's all about God. Theology is how we talk about God. We can't forget it's, not the, it's God who's at the center of it. The living God is that source, and he gives it generously. He says he'll, he'll make your joy complete. He said, prayer will make your joy complete. So a second uh, uh, thing here is, why may joy be missing in our lives? Well, you remember the, the old song, I'm, I'm an old man, when I was a kid, looking for love in all the wrong places, is sort of looking for joy in all the wrong places. Remember, we sometimes are, look, uh, we look upon the Jews of Jesus' time and we say, you know, what went wrong? And we say they expected, they certainly expected the Messiah, but they had created an image of what the Messiah would be like that stopped them from seeing the real Messiah when he came. You know, he was going to be basically uh, a Jewish Caesar. <laughs> you know, he was going to be an, earth, an earthly conqueror, etc. They're going to the top of the heap. You know, things are going to be great. They had this vision of, uh, they had the uh, vision of the Messiah that when the real Messiah came, because his victory would be on the cross over death, something much more important, they missed it. It's amazing. They missed it because they were looking elsewhere. Well, sometimes we have the same problem, don't we? Is we have created, you know, we, it's easy to make fun of health and wealth gospels. You know, people who say, you know, give money to the preacher and you're somehow going to be rich, you know. Uh, and, you know, what, it should comfort you if your preacher is riding around in, you know, in, a, in Audi or something, whatever. We laugh at that, but sometimes we have something that's not that much different, is it? We have a Christianity which really basically is, is, is sort of like gasoline and premium gasoline. It's the same life everybody else lives, but lesser bumps, less bumps. Is we say, Faith, I'm going to still basically live the life of the values of other people, but with God, I do some things, he'll take care of me. You know, things will happen, but it won't be too bad. God will pull me out. It's basically defining our faith in human terms. But we just said the real story is the cross. The real story is joining with Jesus. And so one of the reasons we don't have joy, if our joy is basically, I remember once, you know, I, I mean this with, with love of a person I love, but, uh, you know, a, a parishioner, he was in his late 80s who felt God had let him down because he found out that he had a bad heart and that means he would die soon, relatively, not immediately. Like, this is a surprise. You feel like, say, at 88, <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're, if, you know, seriously, <laughs> uh, if, you're, if God's faithfulness depends on you never dying, you have, you've come to the wrong place. <laughs> Or it's like a firefighter complaining that, you know, gee, there's a fire, I could get hurt. Well, that sort of goes with the term firefighter. Who knew? 
Okay. So maybe we have to seriously ask ourselves, what is the gospel we sold ourselves? Jesus said, unless we, you know, sometimes we can't, we try to sometimes mix two things. You know, I love Elijah. He says at the Mount Carmel, he said, stop limping between two opinions. Either the Lord is God or he isn't. But some of us try to sort of limp between two opinions. We try to have it both ways. We try to be faithful both ways. We try to say, I want to do a decent thing, but I basically want to have the same career. I want to have the life everybody has. And Christian, and plus, I want, to do, I want to somehow do both. That can't be done. Jesus said, you said, you said, talk about money. He said, you know, you can't, you know, he said, you can't serve two masters. Right? He said, ultimately, you're going to have to choose. It's always going to come to a point of choice. So maybe one of the reasons that we're not in joy is we don't have joy because we really aren't all in. And ironically, not being all in makes things, you know, sometimes we think it makes it safer by not going all in. That we, actually makes it a lot harder. Teresa of Avila, perhaps one of the greatest spiritual writers in the Christian tradition, you know, famously talks about 21 years as a nun that she said her spiritual life didn't really go anywhere because she hadn't come to that point. You know, she was doing all the right things and things. It's only when she really gave it up to God and said, this is, I'm really in it. I'm all in, in a sense. Yeah, you know, that is my program. It's not, we, we sometimes like people who try, like I was in business, is you try to sort of get your agendas together, coordinate your agendas. No, when the story of the Christian life is you throw out your agenda and God's agenda becomes your agenda. It's really, that's true. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to have one boss. It's a lot easier, you know, it, the, the tension we often have is because we're trying to combine what can't be combined. It's like having two conflicting jobs. Eventually it clashes. So some part we don't have joys, we're creating a frustration by trying to do the impossible. We can't serve two masters, it says. And we have to, because ultimately, no matter what it is, we're going to actually have to, uh, um, you know what the word, uh, I have a quote here from Jesus, but let me explain, sometimes shocks people is the, people often misunderstand the word hate sometimes is used in a special way in Semitic languages like Hebrew and Aramaic and things that we don't use. You see, we have an unmatched pair in English. Okay, French is the same way, an unmatched pair. If you have to choose two things you both like, let's say you really like vanilla ice cream and you really like chocolate ice cream. Okay, you like both, but you can't have both. Which one do you want, vanilla or chocolate? Okay. You have to choose. Well, in English, we would say the one you choose is the one you prefer. But we don't have any way to describe what we don't prefer. We'd say, well, we have to say don't prefer. We have to make a negative of the verb, but we don't have a verb for the thing we don't prefer. In Hebrew, there is hate. Love and hate in Hebrew means prefer and not prefer. It doesn't imply, it can mean, there's also love hate, we use it, but it also has the regular sense of if you have to make a choice, the one you prefer is the one you love and the one you don't is the one you hate. It doesn't imply that, I, I, you know, it doesn't imply emotional, it means you had to choose, here's the one who won, here's the one who didn't win. That's why he talked about, you know, he hated Leah, but he loved Rachel. He didn't hate Leah, we know that from the things. But it meant he chose one, the one, the one he preferred was that one. When he says, in the womb, Jacob I love, Esau I hate it. He didn't hate Esau in the womb and says, why did he create him? Uh, he was basically saying, I had to choose one. Here's the one I chose, you know, for, you know, this is my choice. And so what Jesus says, unless you hate father and mother, he's saying you get to the point of realizing everything. He goes, sisters and brothers, not hate, God forbid. We know that's a fact. We look at the other passages. They talk, they translate it differently. This one is much closer to what Jesus would have said in Aramaic. But the idea is there is we have to realize that in our lives, other things are fine, but we've made the choice. What frees us is knowing ultimately. You know, it's like this. Years ago, somebody told me something that really stuck with me. He said, you know what the real advantage of middle-class kids is? I'm sure he was an English guy. He said, 
It's the, ch the choices they never have to make. And here's what he explained. I thought it was so profound. In a lifetime now, I found, wow, is it true? You see, a middle class a child uh, who comes from more difficult circumstances, like in the inner city, and say, often when they're 15 years old, every day they wake up and feel, do I want to finish high school? That's an open question. You know, do I finish high school? Do I go to college? These are open questions. A middle class, that would never, the thought would never cross their mind. They don't waste any energy on it. Right? Or, again, I remember years ago, I was an auditor, and I remember I used to review reports. And, I, and, and one of the things they had was a job readiness program. You know, one of the things I did, you know. And I asked the audit manager, Bill, this is a buddy of mine, I said, Bill, you got to tell me, what in the world is a job readiness program? I mean, tell me. Give me a, give me a hint. And he says like this. It's basically, we're talking about people who've never seen anyone work. They come, you know, they just have a regular job in this. If they'd work, but, you know, always self-employed, they'd never seen someone go to work. And he said, what's well, like this? We tell them, you get up and go to the work every day, whether you feel like it or not, and you don't punch out the boss. That's pretty much it. <laughs> but the thing that, get up every day and go to work. You know, one of the advantages, again, is you don't, you don't debate, gee, I wonder if I feel like, we just understand, that's a choice we've made. You know, so again, the freedom that will come from understanding, making the choice makes life a lot easier. We don't have to go through debating. We've made the choice. Okay. Okay, this, by the way, is in the Beatitudes. When it says, blessed are the pure of heart, I think we must misunderstand that. Pure of heart doesn't mean like sexually pure or something. Pure of heart means undivided. It means, you know, basically undivided, you know, you're... You know what you want. I mean, you're just, you're under, like, you know, we say, forsaking all others, love, you know, cleave to them alone as long as you live. It means, basically, there's just, you're not divided. So the blessed are the pure of heart. They'll see God. Isn't that beautiful? That's the thing. So maybe if we're not having joy, is, you know, we still have that divided heart, it's so much easier to just make the choice and go with it. Not to, not to decide every morning, gee, do I finish school? It's a lot easier. Okay. So let's conclude here in saying that joy is not an extra, we were told. It's not a nice bonus in the Christian life. And Jesus is promised actually an energy. You know, it's, it's something that actually energizes us. You know, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit right after love. We're told again, it's, it's what got Jesus through the crucifixion, the joy that was set before him. So Jesus has promised us a joy no one can take away from us. And Jesus keeps his promises. So how can we claim that gift? By placing our hope where it belongs, the promise of resurrection, God's promise. We've got to decide we're really trusting God and we're going for it. And we can, God is, is trustworthy. If we, if we want what God wants for us, we can start knowing joy now. We won't feel the division. And also by praying the giver of every good gift for the gift of the Holy Spirit that is joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice.